page 1011. We began last week, if you weren't with us, a series of studies through this letter to, that James wrote to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the dispersion. And we'll go through it somewhat slowly but steadily. It's a letter that's packed full of commands, pithy sayings along the way. And what we want to look at tonight is verses 5 through 11. So let me read that text for us together this evening and then I pray that God would give us help in our study and we'll begin together. So here now as God speaks to us once again through his word. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, And withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again together. Father, we ask that you would help us to see that which we do not know in this text this evening. That you would open our hearts to receive it with meekness, with love, with a desire to repent and believe and follow your Son, Jesus Christ. We might know what it means to be his disciple. That we might know what it means to count all things as joy. And we pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in high school, a youth pastor at the church of which my family were members at the time took me under his wing for a short period of time. And it was very much one of those things that often happens and Uh, Such situations in a church where youth pastor means to disciple a particular individual. At the time, it was altogether surprising and it 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 was unexpected. And as I've looked back on it in years since and even had actually a number of occasions to reflect on that small season of time with that individual pastor who's still serving the Lord in another church in a different state... And I've come to find out that his reason for kind of bringing me, if you will, under his wing was quite intentional because he, he said that there was this unique season that you were getting ready to walk into of the world's trials and temptations, and I wanted just to make sure that you were going to be okay. And so I remember sitting down with him at a local coffee shop, and one of the first lessons that he taught me was, or at least wanting to impress upon me, was the necessity, of course, of reading your Bible with a particular plan in mind. And he said, Jordan, what you maybe don't realize right now is what you desperately need is wisdom. And so what you need to do is read the proverb of the day. And some of you may have heard of that plan before, never put it into practice. You know that the book of Proverbs in the Bible is 31 chapters. And so you just take the day of the week and the date on which it falls, like today being the 21st of November. So you just open up to Proverbs 21 and simply read that chapter in the hopes, of course, that wisdom would come slowly but surely. And it was a truth, of course, this need for wisdom that belongs to every single person in the room this evening. Kids, what you need is wisdom. 
Uh, students, what you need is wisdom. Of course, adult, adults of any age, what, what you need is wisdom. And James is after that simple truth in the first portion of our text today. And actually, his book, the entire letter, is so full of words of wisdom that people have called it the Proverbs of the New Testament. As he wants God's people, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to walk wisely in love and obedience to the law of the Lord. And so where we left off last week was having met our author, this man named James, Jesus' half-brother. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church, a prominent man in the early stages of Christianity. But nevertheless, if you glance back to verse 1, he simply calls himself a servant. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing to Jewish Christians that had been scattered throughout the empire. Surely they'd been scattered in large measure due to suffering and hardship. So it makes sense why, in James's mind, as he's bringing these Jewish Christians into, if you will, the school of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow him, the very first lesson that he impresses upon them is, count it all joy when you meet trials of many kinds. So he said last week, you will suffer, you will endure tests and temptations and trials along the way. The question is not, will you meet them, but how will you meet them? And James wanted us to count it all joy because we said last week in light of verses 2 through 4, uh, you're to suffer joyfully because that suffering is meant to make you like Jesus Christ. It's really just that simple. Uh, you can suffer joyfully because it's making you more like God's Son. And the connection between that and our passage today, if you just glance at verse 4 and 5, using the same word at the end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5, you see that in verse 4, James is exhorting us to steadfastness, that we might be lacking in nothing. But verse 5 recognizes we do lack in some things. And so what you're going to see then along the way this evening is a text that comes to us in two distinct parts. Verse 5 through 8 is all about wisdom, and verse 9 through 11 is all about wealth. You could also say verse 5 through 8 is all about adversity and what's necessary in such trying times, and verse 9 through 11 is all about humility. So we have more lessons to learn along the way when it comes to following Jesus Christ, lessons about wealth and wisdom, adversity and humility. So we'll consider first wisdom in your adversity, and then secondly, humility for your wealth. I think we'll spend more time on the first section. So first of all, wisdom in your adversity. Notice how he continues his thought in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And if you just kind of glance through verses 5 through 8, what you'll see is what James almost does in this portion of his letter is give us a, a catechism of sorts of when it comes to asking God for wisdom. And so it's essentially asking and answering three questions. Why should we ask for wisdom? Well, how do we get wisdom? And what stops us from getting wisdom? And I'm going to give you those three answers with a couple of adverbs. Because first of all, what he says is ask for wisdom urgently. Ask for wisdom urgently. Because it's clearly connected to what he's said before, isn't it? Verse 5 to the preceding text we looked at last week related to suffering. It seems as though in James's mind, if you are going to be able to count suffering as joy, to meet trials with gladness in your heart, knowing that God is doing something profound within you, you need wisdom to be able to see through, perhaps, to the other side, spiritually speaking. Now, I remember a time when I walked into a hospital room when a member of our church just 
I'd walked in probably only 90 minutes after her husband had suddenly and tragically died, and I walked in and gave her a hug, and the first thing she said to me was, I don't understand this. None of this makes sense. And much of the trials that strike us are that way, aren't they? It just doesn't make any sense. And so when you're praying for your own heart in such difficulty, or even in that moment in a hospital room for someone enduring such difficulty, yes, you pray for God's mercy, you pray for God's comfort, but you also pray, don't you, for God's wisdom, uh, that you might be able to see that behind this frowning providence is a smiling purpose of God for your good and for His glory. Perhaps it's the wisdom that's necessary, this urgent wisdom that's needed to be able to understand that God uses trials and suffering very much like spiritual sandpaper. He's going to take it and rub it on the sole of yourself to take away all the blots and blemishes, rubbing it all out in order to make that soul shine ever more after the image of Jesus Christ. So ask for wisdom urgently. Now kids, how would you define wisdom? The Bible makes it clear Wisdom is different from insight, and wisdom is different from knowledge. So what exactly is wisdom? Well, perhaps a simple way to define wisdom is uh, Christian wisdom is skill in godliness. Or you could say Christian wisdom is the application of God's truth to any circumstance or situation. And so we're to ask urgently for it, but not just that. Ask expectantly. Verse 5 continues, notice, let him ask God who gives generously. To all without reproach, and it will be given him. Yeah, that language there actually in the middle of verse 5, you can almost translate literally as the giving God. Such is the nature of who God is in his generous stance towards his people. You know, students, what it's trying to communicate to you is that God, your Father in heaven, is not anything like us fathers on earth who so often fail. Uh, you, you don't come into God's presence needing something and find a heavenly father that snaps at you as though you're some kind of an inconvenience. What do you want? I've got something more important to do. Or perhaps you arrive into his presence, this earthly father, and he communicates, what are you doing here as though you're some kind of an inconvenience among bigger, more significant work? The truth is that God welcomes all of his people such as the fullness of His grace and His everlasting bounty in Jesus Christ that He gives generously to all without reproach. Now, students, can you think of a way in which someone might give something to you, perhaps, with reproach? Now, think about a way in which this could work out. So let's take another earthly father by way of a hypothetical example. And you come to said father and you have a best friend's birthday coming up, but you've kind of run out of your money a course of the month. And so you say, hey, dad, can I have an advance on next month's allowance because my best friend's birthday is coming up and you know, I want to be able to, to get him something. And, well, a father who gives with reproach might give you the money, but it sounds kind of like this. Well, yeah, I, I can give you the money, but next time you really just need to plan better. You need to budget your money better. You should have known that it was your best friend's birthday coming up and you should have had the money saved up already for it. Well, what James is telling us is that God is not like that, is he? He doesn't give with fault finding. He doesn't give with adding an insult. He doesn't give with adding a reproach. He gives generously to all, it says, without reproach and it will certainly be given him. So you're to ask urgently for wisdom. You're to ask expectantly for wisdom. And of course, verse 6 and 7 tell us you're to ask faithfully. Verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith 
with no doubting. You may know the name of, of George Mueller, who was this Christian most famous for a series of orphanages, really, that he created in and around Bristol, England. And he was a man that even in his time was worldwide in his fame because of his simple childlike faith in God revealed through his continual prayers to God. So George Mueller kept a journal, he kept a diary of all the times that he had made requests of God. And so if you ever go read these journals, you'll find something like 50,000 requests that he records over the time that he was leading these orphanages. And interestingly enough, he says that 30,000 of those 50,000 requests were answered within the hour or within the day that he made them. But everything that he needed for the orphanage, everything that he needed for his ministry, he always prayed for. And that was really just about it. And so by the end of his ministry, he simply told someone who asked about trials and the relation of praying for faith and praying in faith in those, he said, the greater the difficulty to be overcome the more it will be seen to glorify God how much can be done by prayer and faith. See verse 6 again, it tells us how to pray and how not to pray. Pray with faith, don't pray with doubting. And surely in the context of this passage, what you should pray in faith regarding is who God is. That He does give generously, that He does welcome you into His presence, that He delights to give you wisdom when you need it. Wherever that spiritual grace that you may need, He pours it out upon you in Jesus Christ. And he goes on, doesn't he, in verse 6, to give this image of what it means to pray with a doubting heart, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, kids, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you may have heard me talk about my, talk about my genuine fright of the sea. I have been just a few times in my life on a boat in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. And I genuinely don't like any of it because the sea is the ancient place of evil. It's always moving about, isn't it? It's never just settled and calm. The wind changes, the current changes, and it rocks and rolls. And such is the person that doubts. Such is the person, perhaps, that doesn't receive answers from God in prayer. For notice verse 7 and 8, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And you meet James in the fullness of his personality here. He's often one who can, in the span of a few phrases, comfort and bite in his pastoral counsel. Don't be surprised you don't receive anything from the Lord if you're doubting, is what he says. You're just a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Well, double-minded is a word unique to James. It means something more literally like double-souled. And it shows up again in chapter 4, verse 8, and in context there, it seems to be painting the picture. We don't know exactly, but it seems to be probably painting the picture about this heart that's divided between two loves, a love for God and a love for the world. And you might understand how someone who is praying to God with a divided heart tends to be someone that's not praying with faith. Well, yes, Lord, I, I need that wisdom. I'm not so sure, however, if you're actually going to give it to me, so I need to try to make things work on my own over here. You know, God, I need that insight that you so desperately offer in Jesus Christ, but, you know, I'm not so sure you actually give it to me soon enough, and so I might as well go make things happen in my own strength, wisdom, and power. Just like a wave shifting about in the ocean, not settled, calm, and steady, is it? This person James has in mind, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, how should you pray? Well, you ask for it urgently. You ask for it expectantly. You ask for it faithfully. This is the wisdom for your adversity. And now verse 9 through 11 gives us humility with your wealth. For look at verse 9 to the beginning of verse 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, it's, it's here that a lot of people... Commentators of old and certainly scholars throughout the ages often want to debate whether or not James has in mind a a Christian man who's poor and a rich man who's not a Christian, because he calls, if you notice again, verse 9, he calls the poor man a brother, but not the rich man. Or does he have in mind here a poor man who's a Christian and also a rich man who's a Christian? I think you need to take it in that latter way, because of course God saves both rich and poor. God saves those who have need and those who have plenty. And what he's wanting us to understand is, in the context, I think, of chapter 1, is that money itself is its own kind of trial that requires we respond faithfully. It was earlier this year that Forbes magazine published an article that simply said, five ways that you are worrying about your money and how to stop. Because a recent study, no surprise, had discovered that 54% of workers say that money is their greatest cause of stress. Needing more, wanting more, not having enough. And you perhaps have been in a place in your own life where you know the stress-inducing power that wealth or lack thereof can bring to you. And what James is wanting you to understand in the midst of that wealth, in the midst of that money, there are two simple things that you must know. First is that wealth doesn't bring status. Wealth doesn't bring status. It seems to me that what he's saying here is that the poor man and the rich man, when they stand before the cross of Jesus Christ, they stand on level ground. Because it's the poor man that is raised, isn't he? It's the poor woman, it's the poor child that's raised to the status of God's child. But perhaps it's the rich man, the king here on earth, the power here in this world that's lowered to bow before the King of Kings who died in His place on a cross at the Mount of Calvary. And so wealth doesn't indicate, guarantee, doesn't deserve any particular status before the Lord. What's necessary is that you humble yourself with whatever God has given to you. Not just is the truth that wealth doesn't bring status, but it also doesn't bring security. Notice verse 10 through 11. The rich man must... Be rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls, but its beauty perishes. And so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I've had the occasion throughout the years, often discipling young teenage boys and thinking about what it is they're going to be when they grow up. You know, what are you going to go study in college? What kind of vocation do you want to pursue? And invariably, you'll come across a number of young men that are saying, I just want to make lots of money. And that could be a sanctified godly desire if you wanted to give away lots of money. But for most, of course, it's really not. And so as a pastor, you have to tell them, well, don't forget what Jesus said. It's easier for that camel to go through that eye of a needle than for you to get into heaven if you're rich. And of course, for all of us in the room today, from James's first century context, we are rich people. 
And what he's wanting to remind us is that there's no security in that wealth. It can be here today and disappear tomorrow. There's none of it that you're going to take into the new heavens and the new earth. So therefore, store up treasures in heaven. Pursue that which is lasting. Be humble with your wealth, knowing that it will fade away, perhaps even as quickly as it comes. So lesson number one in the school of following Christ, according to James, count it all joy when trials arrive. And when they arrive, ask for wisdom, knowing that God delights to give it to you out of his generous heart. Not just that. No matter your monetary situation or circumstance, be humble before the Lord, knowing that he'll provide everything you need in Jesus Christ. And of course, everything that has everlasting value in Jesus Christ. I've spent years reading these lectures that were given by an old English preacher named Charles Spurgeon. It's been republished in a book, all of them collected together that we have in extant manuscripts into this book titled Lectures to My Students. And what Spurgeon would do, if you don't know anything about Spurgeon, he's often considered the greatest English-speaking preacher of the 19th century. On Friday afternoons, he would depart from his house or wherever he was in the area of London. He would make a walk over to his pastor's college. And it was there on Friday afternoon that he would deliver a specific lecture to these group of students that would soon, often about 36 hours time, perhaps 48 hours time, they'd be found in various preaching stations in London. And so he would give these lectures meant to kind of put a fire in their bellies to preach the gospel on uh, the coming Lord's Day. And one of those lectures that I've often come to most is simply titled, Attention! with an exclamation point. And so he says right at the beginning, most preaching textbooks of the time, they don't talk about the need to get attention when you're teaching God's word. And he says it's probably because these preaching textbooks are written by preaching masters who just show you how to get attention rather than tell you how to get attention. But Spurgeon goes on to say their attention must be gained or nothing can be done with them. And it must be retained or we may go on word spinning but no Good will come of it. We must have attention. And as we work our way through James' letter, what you'll see over and over with this writer is he's always grabbing your attention. Uh, it is every single passage full of these punchy, pithy, and powerful statements meant to grab your heart and bring your mind to the truth of where it must be in Jesus Christ. And as we begin to close in our time this evening, let me give you two things to which you must pay attention in this passage. Number one, pay attention to what you lack. If any of you lacks wisdom. I hope you have the humility in your heart to know that you're lacking somewhere right now in following the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be wisdom. Some of you might lack patience. Some of you might lack forbearance. Some of you might lack that great grace of letting love cover a multitude of sins. Well, certainly the Spirit, as He's always growing us after the image of Jesus Christ, isn't it true, is always uniquely in a particular moment, a particular time, appointing His finger on a particular sin or a particular place where we most desperately need His growth in grace. And maybe you do not have it because you have not asked. What do you lack? And are you praying for it urgently, expectantly, and faithfully? And maybe you're even in here today and what you might realize for the first time is what you actually lack is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is wisdom, the Bible tells us. Who is everything that his people so desperately need? And maybe you need to ask even this night for his wisdom in salvation, his wisdom in forgiveness, that it would cover you, that it would comfort you, that you might not lack any good thing 
in the Savior whose name is Christ Jesus. So pay attention to what you lack. And number two, finally, pay attention to what lasts. There was this missionary, C.T. Studd, that said in a poem that he wrote, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Your kids and students, you can give your attention to so many things, can't you, in this world that will pass away as quickly as tonight will pass into tomorrow. Well, you want to give your heart to that heart work of that which lasts for all eternity, which is a soul shaped after the image of Jesus Christ. Giving your life to helping others' souls be shaped after the image of Jesus Christ. No matter your situation or circumstance, you just pay attention to what you lack. Pay attention to what lasts. And what you'll quickly find yourself doing is doing nothing other than paying attention to Jesus Christ, who has given you everything you need. And he's promised to give it to you for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we want to confess, even this evening, that we lack that which we need so often in our life to count suffering as joy. Give us that wisdom, we pray. Give us that patience. Give us that steadfastness and endurance. That we might not only walk in wisdom, that we might walk in the humility, that humility that's found in Jesus Christ, who though is equal with you, took on the form of a servant and was obedient to death on the cross. That's because of his great mercy that we even bring these requests before you and trust that you will do so much more than these simple words can do in just a brief few moments on a Sunday evening. By your spirit, supernaturally amplify their power that we might walk in holiness this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.